The Fake Show is brought to you by Brew City Brand, Hutchison and Stefan, The Food Connection, LV.com, and by Mr. Antenna. It's The Fake Show with Jim Tofty. It's, uh, you know, entertainment for children or for particularly slow adults. I am Jim Tofty with The Fake Show, and, you know, I think everyone probably knows actress Cindy Williams mostly from the series Laverne and Shirley, but her life was so interesting even before that. She was born in Van Nuys, California. She attended high school with Sally Field. She was a waitress at the Whiskey A Go-Go, where she waited on Jim Morrison, and something very weird happened. She nearly got the role of Princess Leia in Star Wars before losing out to Carrie Fisher. She talks about all of that and more in her autobiography titled Surely I Jest. And I've got Cindy Williams on the line right now. Cindy, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. You're busy, aren't you, with this book tour? Busy as a bee. Yeah, that's good. I mean, the book is great, and that's why. There were a lot of things that I knew about you, but one of them, one of the things I didn't know about you was that when you were a kid, you were in The Blob with Steve McQueen? I was in Beware the Blob with, um, and it was directed by Larry Hagman. And, um, at, but, but it was Beware the Blob, the, the, the second one. And I was, I was eaten by the blob in a drain pipe in Glendale. <laughs> well, that had to be the, the great honor of your career, I suppose. It was. It was, <laughs> it was wonderful. And it was, um, it was, the first time I was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, that was the line that got me on The Johnny Carson the second time, said I was eaten by the blob in a drain pipe in Glendale. <laughs> in the 60s, you're a young waitress at the Whiskey A Go-Go, and you run into, on your first night, I guess, you run into none other than Jim Morrison, yes? On my first night, he was my first customer at the Whiskey, yes. They, they had set me up and given me the VIP section and set me up as a prank and set him up as my first customer, right. He orders a bottle of Jack Daniels and you come back and say you can't deliver that and it goes between him and the bartender until you're practically in tears? Exactly. And he was in on it. And um, it just went back and forth and back and forth and and the bartender uh, gets, you know, feigns ang- anger with me and uh, and keeps sending me back to the table telling me that he's, you know, he knows perfectly well he's not allowed to have a bottle of Jack at the table and go back there and tell that so-and-so uh, just that. And I go back and I tell Jim Morrison that he's, you know, I'm so sorry, but I, I'm not allowed to serve him a bottle of Jack at the table and that... Jim Morrison says he's been served a bottle of Jack at the table uh, at the whiskey before, and he wants a bottle of Jack at the table tonight, and go back and tell Tony, the bartender, that uh, he's been served a bottle of Jack, and he wants a bottle of Jack tonight, and I go back to Tony and the bartender and tell him he's Jim Morrison has been served a bottle of Jack at the table, and he wants a bottle of Jack tonight, and <laughs> Tony says, no way is he getting a bottle of Jack, and you go back and tell him he's not getting a bottle of Jack. He'll serve him a double, but no bottle of Jack. And, oh, it just, it went on for 20 minutes. And, oh, my God. And, um, and I, I, and, you know, and I, and I was such a big Jim Morrison fan, and I was so in love with him. And, oh, it just, and so in the meantime, I served the two girls he was with, their Tom Collins, and, and, uh, <laughs> and so finally, you know, I was in tears, and he, 
he asked me my name, Jim Morrison, and he and I said Cindy, and he said, "Well, Miss Cindy," he took my hand and he said, "Well, Miss Cindy, we're we're just joking, we're just playing with you. Bring me a double." And I looked around the club, and all the waitresses and all the bartenders were looking at me and and uh, laughing, and I realized that they had they had pranked me. Oh my gosh! You know, they, and and he said, "Just bring me a double," and uh, and then. They they took my section away from me, you know. It, it, <laughs> they they sent me upstairs to the peanut gallery. Oh, they so you were done that my my first night just to just to do that. He was in on it. Wow. So from the VIP section to the to the upstairs where nobody was, right? Yeah, to the to the benches yes. where the kids sat. Yeah, and um, it was an honor, but it was humiliating at the same time. Wow. an honor. That's amazing. How long did you work there at the whiskey? I worked there the summer of love. Um, I worked there uh, for uh, the whole summer of 1968. And is it true that, uh, Cindy, that the first time you met Penny Marshall, you were actually on a double date? You hadn't worked with each other at that point yet. That's right. That's right. We went uh, to the Coconut Grove on a double date to see Liza Minnelli, Little Richard, open for her. Amazing. And you, you got along to the point where you figured once you met up again, you'd, you'd be able to work with each other. Oh, yes. I really, yes. I mean, I really liked her immediately. And, um, but we didn't work together a year or two passed before we worked together. And the next time we worked together was as writers on this, um, by as writers at, we were teamed up as writers for this bicentennial spoof movie uh, called My Country Tis of Thee that Francis Ford Coppola was uh, producing. How did you get the role on American Graffiti? And by the way, did you think going in there because the budget was so low that this was just a car movie or something? Yes, that's all any of us thought. Um, I got the role. um, I, I screen tested for it. First, I met with George Lucas, who you know, was I was told was this kind of genius young director. Well, we were all young, but this young director out of USC who had, you know, uh, written and directed this wonderful um, movie called THX 1138. Sure. And uh, uh, he was had written this new movie that, you know, everybody thought was going to be fantastic. And this low-budget movie... And and I met with him first, and then he wanted me to come in and screen test the next day. He was a man of a few... He was a kid of a few words. Yeah. Uh, a few words. And so the next day, you know, I had just come from doing this movie uh, in Spain, and I was jet-lagging, didn't want to come in. I didn't even want to go in and meet him because I, uh, I was, like, ill from jet-lag. Yeah. But I did, and then he wanted me to come in and screen test the next day, and I didn't even know how I was going to wake up, let alone learn these lines. But I did, and I went in and screen. Te- I held the script and screen tested with Ron Howard, and uh, apologized for having to hold the script. And then I got the part. I wanted the other two, any of the other two parts. I wanted to play uh, the part Candy Clark eventually played. You know, um, Debbie the fast girl. Sure. Yeah. Or I wanted the part that Mackenzie played. You know, except it. They told me, they said, you can't play this part because, believe it or not, it's, it's a part of a 12-year-old. And believe yeah. it or not, we're going to cast an actual 12-year-old in it. 
And um, so, anyway, I ended up playing Laurie Henderson and happy for it. By the way, George Lucas, would you would go back to him because you auditioned for the role that eventually Carrie Fisher got in Star Wars. Now, we actually found some of your Star Wars audition. Let's give it a listen. 13, take two, camera roll two. Okay. Action. Well, all the data banks in Little R2 are still secure. When Little R2 has been safely delivered to my forces, you'll receive your reward. You have my guarantee. Well, what's, a, what's that little droid carrying anyway so blessed and important the plans and specifications to a battle station with enough firepower to destroy an entire system were you close to getting that role i there were a lot of people who auditioned for um princess leia princess leia yes and um i I don't know how many but i but he did call me in to audition for princess leia yes and i did i did uh screen tests Laverne and Shirley is a show that I loved, by the way, because I'm from the Milwaukee area. So we we, there we could all relate to you guys because you worked at a brewery there. It had to be an amazing time for you. You guys were all young and and, uh, you had such great chemistry, the whole cast. Um, You uh, say that again. I'm so sorry. My my dog just um, was something. It fell off the bed. Okay. <laughs> uh, my attention. I'm so sorry. I was just saying that you all had such great chemistry on Laverne and Shirley, which is pretty rare. You know, you really struck, you know, lightning really hit there. Yes. It, it, yes. I always said, you know, I always said if we if there had been an, uh, um, an Olympic event for comedy, that we would have probably at least taken a bronze medal, you know, um, <laughs> as a team, because it, there was something about all of us, you know, the whole cast, there was just something. We all had some kind of telepathic, you know, um, thing going on when we got on that stage, all of us. And uh, there, it was, I don't, I don't know what it was, but um, we all just were in, we were all in some sort of harmony together. If we'd been an acapella group, we, we could have, just been, you know, our voices would have melded together. I know that uh, all of you had this this improv skill, and I know that Gary Marshall had a flair for casting just the right people. I also know that you're short on time, Cindy, but I wanted to, to just lay this one on you. Tom Bosley from, from Happy Days, Mr. C, they're on the set next to yours, and I know that in an interview he did, he once said that he heard, he always heard yelling coming through the walls because guys like David Lander and and. Michael McKean were always complaining about the scripts every now and then. The writers on Laverne and Shirley were wonderful. I mean, they were, everyone was, the the writers, the cast, everyone, highly creative people. The producers, everyone, highly, highly creative people. And everyone wanted to make it better. And so we get on the set and we do just that. We would just try and take it up a notch. That's what we'd always say. So we get on the, we get the script, and all of us, and we try to take it up a notch. So yeah. there would be a lot of doing just that, trying to take the show up. And yes, there was a, a lot of that. And um, you know, Penny and I do it too. We try to during rehearsal, we we just try to rearrange things. And sometimes there'd be 
you know, creative conflict. We'll just leave it at that. Yes, I know. <laughs> but we try to make the show laugh out loud funny, all of us, the, the entire cast. And they were a little more state because they didn't have as frenetic a show as ours was. True. Unhappy Days. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, ours was a more was a more physical show and uh, a louder show. So. We were louder. And it was a great show. It's in, uh, you know, I love to catch it in reruns all the time. Your book is is wonderful. It's called Surely I Jest, and it's available at Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today, Cindy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. She is the coolest. We didn't have time to talk about it, but... She had a pivotal role in Francis Ford Coppola's film, The Conversation with Gene Hackman. I'm glad the book is out because she goes into great detail about her complicated relationship with Penny Marshall. That's it for this episode of The Fake Show with my guest, Cindy Williams. Make sure you follow along on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Jim Tofty, and I'll talk to you next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes.